0: Have you heard of B Reel? Yeah, Aaron's on it. So I'm doing my B Reel, right? It just popped up. So we're doing, yeah, live podcasting B (laughs) Reel. Boom!
1: Welcome to the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. Today is a little bit different of a format than we've been doing. Uh, I don't have my co-host with me, Steve the intern. He is busy doing intern things, I am sure. So we're going to mix up the format. And it was, I guess, largely piloted by Logan. And so Logan's here with me today. What's up, guys? And so Logan was inspired to do a field recording it's a little bit low tech, but we're gonna we're gonna make sure he has support going forward to continue to do these. So, it might be Logan, it might be others, but we're really interested in doing some field recordings and maybe a little bit of like a meta before and after about what happened. Uh, and so we'll get a little bit more into that. Beyond that, this is a two part episode, so I'm also gonna sit down with Drew of Rodeo Labs, and Drew has been the lead person driving the the product launch of the Show Pony. Uh, and so I know that. Recently, uh Steve did a write up slash interview on bikepacking.com and they were talking about the show pony, but we also just kinda wanted to push something out from rodeo itself. So really excited to talk to Drew about that. But before we get there, let's let's go back to Logan. So Logan, you went to talk to Bobby from mid-south. The Bobby. The Bobby. Yeah. But it wasn't it was it was not scripted, it was unplanned. It wasn't during the event, so it wasn't during this chaos. And so it actually was, I listened to to this recording, and I thought it was really interesting and kind of intimate and quiet. Can you set the stage for us?
0: Yeah, so I was traveling from Bentonville, Arkansas to Emporia, Kansas to do what you do in Bentonville, Arkansas and Emporia, Kansas, race bikes. And looking at a map, I'm a big paper map guy. So I have like an atlas. And on the atlas, you can see all the different places to go. And I noticed Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I'd been to Stillwater, Oklahoma. I'd been there in March for my spring break. The only person ever to go to Stillwater, Oklahoma for the spring break. But it was amazing because it was the Mid-South. A gravel race put on by, again, the Bobby Unlearned Pavement. We're not even saying his last name, but everybody knows who we're talking about. We'll put his last name in the show notes, but we'll keep it out of this just to keep the bit going. But he's... Uh, one of the pioneers of gravel racing um, to the point where it's almost difficult to get him to say that he's a gravel race director. He just likes to say bikes because it's just a festival of cycling for him and it just happens to be on dirt roads. But um, I had a couple mutual friends. So when I was driving, um, I was like, how cool would it be if I got a chance to sit down with Bobby, ask him some questions outside of the craziness of the race, maybe go out on the course um, and really get an understanding and a feel for the race um, in a way that's a little less organized as a sit down conversation in a studio. Cause I love all of the sit down conversations in the studio we have, but rodeo is about riding. It's about getting out into nature and it's about experiencing stories in a more intimate way. Um, as you guys know, it's a rodeo adventure labs. It, bikes are no part of the name. It's just what we do because it's the best way to ride, explore and create all of these stories and memories that we all celebrate and why we all have these bikes. So, I really wanted to take that mentality and put it to a podcast and these days there's tons of great inspirations to podcasts that go out into the field that take a different approach to storytelling and i just kind of took a stab at it with my iphone so it's really low low budget if you will um some of the quality was hard to manage but i think we really got a good enough conversation really add a lot of those more detailed and and below the surface elements that You love to have a conversation, especially as someone who has studied journalism and who hopes to do it more. So I I just love the way it came out. Obviously, there were some technical issues and our conversation was probably four to five hours. And this podcast is a lot shorter than four to five hours. So it it hurt me to actually cut some of it, but it's just the way it goes. And I just wanted to tell the neatest, most intimate and most interesting stories to all of you guys about Mid-South, a race that I really enjoyed going to and i am really excited to go back to so yeah should we should we put press play let's just jump right in let's jump right in all right we've ventured out to the forerunner um and we're heading we're heading southwest we are so So where so bobby tell me where we're going
2: yes so we're heading we're heading to some of the dirt roads that i were the some of the first dirt roads that i found that made me think like if there are more roads like these, then absolutely it's going to be worth our time and energy and effort to try and string together hundred miles to put together an event.
0: So we're looking. So we're going to the vision. We're seeing the vision.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm taking you to my favorite shit, dude. I'm taking you to my... when I go on any of my bike rides, if I have enough time to get over here, like I'm I'm taking you to like not only the vision of like oh this is how it can be or should be, but also to like where I want to spend most of my time if I have any free
0: time yeah so and, and we would be doing this on bikes but it's a sloppy mess out there it right
2: so we got four-wheel drive we got sick tires like we're gonna be just fine. yeah
0: this is not a Prius I'm not gonna get stuck like I did <laughs> in the rule three parking lot so we've hit the dirt it's surprisingly dusty but you're telling me this is about directions
2: yeah I mean a lot of times like especially after the, the trees you know leaf out right Oh, like here, you yeah, go. here we now, go mud, in, mud bog a little bit of red mud uh very iconic very very still water very mid-south but yeah dude like uh because of in the summertime especially you know the winds coming out of the south and so the north south roads will dry up a lot faster than the east west roads because the sun kind of hits them more directly most of the day and then also the sun or the wind is, is blowing kind of straight up them yeah that's where the east west roads are going to have a lot more coverage from the wind and also the sun because the trees
0: so, how does this factor into course design? Do you, uh, are you strategically,
2: or, or is this just, I just want irrelevant? To, I want to find the most rowdy, most insane, sometimes private, <laughs> you know, least traveled. Maybe bridges are out. Yeah. You know, B road, C road. Sometimes we call them D roads. Yeah. Because they've been so untraveled or whatever you want to call it here in town. But yeah, right. Okay, we're coming up to the intersection.
0: Yeah, we'll look at, we'll, we'll check this out.
2: We're at 68th and Sanger. And yeah, we're going to start seeing a lot more stuff like this where it's just rutted, muddy, standing water. Sometimes for any other non-four-wheel drive vehicle, maybe impassable. Um, but by bike, it's always passable because you can just walk, right?
0: Yeah, you, you always can just get to step it. Um, it's amazing the, like, the detail you see when you're on the ground compared to what you see on satellite imagery. Yeah. Because in satellite imagery, this is all just
2: like grids and greenery. And yeah, it looks flat it looks so flat like no character right no no identity but no. then you get here and you realize like oh
0: yeah you look at Strava files and you're like why is this block <laughs> important yeah. why is this why is this square something that's worth racing but then you get down here and you see the little ridges and the little dips and you, oh wow yeah here we it's go. just
2: rippling off into the distance we're getting closer to what to me is kind of the reason for the character of the roads that that is multiplied again and again and again in every direction but this was really the first ones to catch my eye And in my opinion I still think some of these roads out this way southwest of Stillwater towards the Cimarron River Valley are some of the most dramatic so biggest you know punchiest climbs reddest dirt least amount of people kind of living in the space um, in the area and and yeah, packs of dogs in the middle of the road. Packs of dogs, vultures up ahead, cows in the pastures. Cotton, cotton, cottonwood trees are blooming. There's cotton flying around.
0: This is this is crazy. Yeah. It, it's so different. <laughs> like the light has just changed and this whole place has come alive. It's completely different. I'm excited. I can't wait.
2: Okay, I'm gonna put it in four-wheel drive just, we gotta in, go. just in case.
0: Yeah, this is where things seem to take a turn. Or not, there's no turns, but it just,
2: we go over a dip and things are getting rowdy. And it just doesn't, it's funny you say that. I think about that all the time. Because you look at grids, you look at routes, sometimes they're really simple. And you're going straight for like, what, 15 miles? Or you're going straight for 12 miles. And when you're out here, though, and the undulations of the land and the tiny little curves and bends and like around public, public, private land, this and that or whatever... It just... It never feels like you're going straight.
0: No. No. And, like, next to me right now is red rocks that are, like, leaking water down the sides. We're in this rich forest all of a sudden. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah,
2: dude. This is crazy. It's Welcome a canopy. To Welcome to 68. Dude. And then we're going to so
0: explode good. out here, and it's just going to ripple off into the distance. There's, like, almost a bridge out. I was... I was a big that was That was... That was, was a, a tree. That was a tree. There was something <laughs> down. And you're just, like, going over these dips. Like, it's like a roller coaster. I... This is a podcast, so we can't really demonstrate how crazy this ecology is and how much we are swerving out here in the forerunner
2: there's an actual spring right here this is always wet and they finally like trenched it out because it's used the spring used to just go across the road and always leave the spot wet and in the winter time it'll come back probably someday but in the winter time uh there'd be like six inches of ice because it would just keep pumping water (laughs) even though it wasn't a lot but it would just build and build and build and build and we'd always have to walk across it man yeah again like we're in a vehicle so it's hard to really get a sense of what uh, these stair steppers but these climbs out here are, are legit
0: oh we got a deer across this is this is
2: tight. It, you, this you, is better than I could
0: have this oh. is so good it's so good and the the dirt is so rich and the red is shining through we were just talking there's like a little layer of of
2: foreign dirt is that what can we call it foreign dirt we, get, we totally intrusive you call it the intrusive the, yeah the intrusive rock like the non-native material. Yeah, and it's air. kind
0: of like a film. And then as soon as you get rain and as soon as you get tire tracks, there's like this deep coppery red that shines through. And it's so actually beautiful in this nuanced way where you have the green imposed behind it. Of course, we don't get the green in March. And that's no, a shame.
2: It is a shame. But a shame. you still get the red. You do. And sometimes, sometimes you get the purple red buds on the redbud trees on the side of the, and and also like with the cedar trees, we do get a little bit of green in the winter time, which is totally sick.
0: We just got soaked. This is, we're in in water world now. This is like six different (laughs) roller coasters in one. (laughs) Bobby's cackling. I am trying my best to stay cool, but on the inside I'm freaking out because it is awesome. This race is just so geographic, right? It's such a testimony to the place that it exists.
2: It, 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 it is, man. Like, the land itself is one of the biggest characters of the entire event period, right? Yeah. Like, the roads are changing all the time, whether it's raining this year. We got snow for the first time, whether it's impassable, whether it's super dry and dusty. You know, um, like, you were just saying, too, a little bit ago, this year... They laid down so much rock through the wintertime, and we had one of the driest winters we've ever had. So the, the whole, like, recapturing, you know, the, the whole, like, yeah, just reclamation of, of land over rock laid didn't happen. So you guys actually got to see a lot more of, of types of roads that we normally don't don't have at all around here because normally when it rains, it just it goes away. So anyway, like, it's just, it's, it's ever-changing. It's always different, and it's so gorgeous man and every turn every crest of every hill it just feels wild it feels like we, we haven't passed a house in i don't know how many miles
0: no there's no driveways there's just like every once in a while you get a little like trail off to the side like yep, right like, here but yep. that's probably just going to some some field a lot of some... it's
2: oil and gas stuff so yeah there's like there's pump houses out here or whatever and or, or interchanges for for oil lines or there's private land access for cattle or whatever like that that gate was open and yeah oh, we could check it out but also like we probably maybe we shouldn't <laughs> check it out and that's the thing that's the funnest part about course creation is that we get out here and a lot of times we'll look at grids and we'll build stuff on ride with gps or whatever and then we'll come out and then we'll see something off the side to be like oh we gotta check that out yeah it's and like
0: so it's like you have like a big sort of etch-a-sketch and then it's like oh now we're gonna get in our fine toothbrush eggs, and sort of color you it are
2: in. nailing it that is how i build courses and how you know homies that have helped build courses like austin are Austin Turner, our service manager at District, built the the course for the last two years up to Pawnee Nation. And dude, like, we get out there and then we just start to see weird things or we go ride stuff. And when you're riding, you definitely can see things you've never seen before. And it's like, okay, how can we let the land itself and the roads that already exist or the the private land tell a story in and of itself? And I don't know, man. I think that everyone is attracted to that, whether they realize that they're being a part of a story through a course telling it to them whether they know it or not
0: yeah this is like i think it ties to your past as a musician right it's like how can you be creative in the position you're in right now and that's creating a, a course that's your own sort of like
2: tangible album of yeah the geography we exist in i obsess over it dude like obsess it's so and i was telling you earlier like we are still finding things we're still finding out about new stuff or we're new, we're finding out about a new landowner that has you know these access roads to this place or whatever and it's like it kind of feels like even if we start returning to to other towns that we've gone to as halfway points that we are still just scratching the surface on what roads we can take people down
0: yeah that's exciting that's exciting and that that's something that gives this race such a high ceiling right yeah Is like you can keep making it different and engaging and as the additions play out as feedback comes in you can sort of adjust as it goes
2: 100 percent like oh we want it to be rowdier. okay yeah. sick oh we want to we want to return back to those roads that we hit like seven years ago like okay it's time it's time let's go back to them and they're not going to be the same that they were before and, and to me like That just keeps it so exciting and the other thing that i have to keep remembering keep realizing is that how many new people are getting into what we are now all calling gravel or whatever dirt road drop bar riding racing rowdiness that have never done any of this before and so like i we all have to remember that even though it's something we've been doing for a long time there are droves and droves and droves of people who may not even ride bikes yet that might be doing this in the next whatever five years seven years eight years
0: yeah and that's something to look forward to. It is, and it's a, it's a it's an exciting thing to be like five new five years from now. I could
2: be introducing this to someone totally different. And even though these roads feel repetitive or might feel old or played out to us, the idea that they're new to someone else keeps the whole entire thing fresh.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to come back and be the guy that's one of the veterans. Yeah, at some point you're gonna do that. All right, let's get out of this. Let's, let's get out of this it. field and feel the dirt. Oh boy! Oh, it's squishy. It's spongy. Isn't it good? Yeah. Do you, Whoa! Do you, ever, do
2: you ever ground? Or are, you, are you still recording? I'm still recording. Okay, good. Do you ever ground?
0: I have ground before.
2: Okay, let's do it right now. Let's do it. Our t- whole team has been like doing this. We got at least
0: a couple times. My socks are coming off. All the way. I got the the end one Walmart tube socks, yeah. Bobby. What do you you got? Oh, got smart s- wolves? Yeah, I got Smartwool. We got yeah.
2: Summit Stillwater Summit Co across the street, so I. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I can't find any socks I want to wear, so I'll just go downtown and buy. Them this consistency
0: it speaks to the ever-changing nature of it we're kind of like and like sometimes you it's it's soft it's forgiving and then all of a sudden it's sticky and then all of a sudden Uh it's scratchy
2: and it's sandy and it's clay and and it's just like it's 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 red it's beautiful like i i don't know i have never ridden my bike in a place that has this much red content in the soil and there's something about like you said, the contrast, especially between the red and the green and the blue. Oh man, it's just like it just lets me like breathe for some reason. And I don't know how to explain it. I I
0: I think dirt is, is underappreciated. I'm gonna go so far as to say that. I was riding in Virginia I agree with that totally. back home in Virginia and we have like we have some red clay, we have some sort of like yellow dirt, we have gray dirt, and yep. me and my buddy, we were on a bike pack and we were talking, and it was like, you know how cool it is just to be riding and then to see a totally different color underneath your wheels. Uh-huh. And that's great. And I think people, no one has this red dirt where they're
2: from. Not really. There's some spots in Georgia that I've ridden. I did the Trans-North Georgia in 2017. And and some of that, you know, like that, tra- that, you know, traverse between South Carolina and I guess Alabama on the other side. And it's just like, it's crazy that that terrain's nuts. But they, I saw some red dirt there that I thought was cool. But again, not in the expanse of like what we've
0: got miles and miles of red dirt and it just cuts its own way through the geography around it and then the geography around it too is really cool it's like these little shrub forests are like fending off the prairies you can tell (laughs) you can tell the prairie is just nearby it's like right around the corner it
2: wants to you know don't forget me yeah don't forget
0: i'm gonna be just a (laughs) couple hills away but we're not in the prairie we still have these little bits of trees in these shrub forests and it's fantastic
2: these little valleys and man. River valleys, these small creeks and stuff. It's just, it's, I, I I never thought another place could feel like home. I always thought Kansas was it. I thought Kansas was like, I'm born and bred. I'm Kansas. I'm a Midwest punk rock emo screamo boy. Like for the rest of my life. And like Oklahoma has fully captured me, captured yeah. my heart. Like it is, it is just, it, it's enthralling. And so that's, that's really, truly where the whole idea of Mid-South came from. So my very first Instagram post I ever did for, for Land Run 100, for LR100, um, I had my Warbird. It was a red dirt road. It was a gorgeous day. I threw my bike down on the ground and took a photo of it and was just like, yo, like working on courses, things are going well. Can't wait to have everyone. Registration's coming in the fall. Hashtag unlearned pavement. Hashtag Mid-South gravel. Because I was like, where are we? We're not in the South. No. We're not in the Midwest. People say we're in the South. We're not. This is not Texas. This is not Alabama. This is not Mississippi. We are not in the Midwest. This is not, like, my my roots of, like, punk rock Midwest no. vibes. There's no corn in sight. There's none of right. that. There's right? no Illinois. There's no Ohio is for lovers. Like, none of this is happening. Like, we're in Oklahoma. And what is Oklahoma? Oklahoma is actually a really confusing, really fucked up politically and, like, historically place. It's a fucking wild place. Oklahoma is a confused space with thirty nine tribes. And so if I look at a map and I love looking at maps, I love looking at roads, and I look at Oklahoma of the entirety with the entirety of the US. It is in the middle of the southern region, yeah. of the United States of America. So like to me, this is the mid-south.
0: This is the mid-south. It's it's a confusing place. I was, It is a confusing place. I a,
2: agree. Thank you for saying
0: that. Well see, I kind of did on my intro and I was a little worried on my <laughs> intro because I said I said like Whenever I mention I'm going to Oklahoma, people almost cringe at the idea <laughs> that like, I am going to Oklahoma. Like people don't go there. People from the East, people from the West, they don't come here. So when I say I'm going to Kentucky, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and South Dakota for my first bit of summer, people are like, why on earth are you going there? Just go to, just go to Oregon just to finish your road yeah. trip. But yeah. for me, I was like, you know what? This race is cool. Bobby likes it here somebody has to call this place home somebody has to have stories and now I'm here and I'm seeing the stories especially now that the sun's out I cannot stress yeah, enough it changes it. how glorious it is sick with the sun and how miserable it is without the sun mm-hmm.
2: and that's just the dichotomy of the mid-south 100%. you know what's fun is that like when the sun comes out and it is so good it it's hard to stay inside you don't want to stay inside so it's it, actually for, for us like for me anyway that I live here it's like alright well when the sun is out it's like or not out when well, the sun is behind the clouds, it finally gives me a chance to like breathe for a second. I'm like, oh, I can take a day off. Like, it's okay. It's raining. Like, I'll just not. I'm right not now. missing anything. No, I'm not I'll missing just, anything. I'll just go to the store and get a bottle of wine and I'll make some food. And like, I don't have to do anything because all the things I love to do, I can't because it's muddy or or I'm just not feeling, not feeling it because of the the, the sun's not out.
0: I know. I yesterday I was like, I'm gonna get a, a register on things. I'm gonna go to Oklahoma. I came to Oklahoma and I had nothing to do. I had not, I was in a, I was underneath a pavilion. It was 55 degrees and rainy. I was like making the best meal I could, but like I was listening to podcasts, just trying to, you know, get through the yeah. out, couple hours before I could go to sleep. And then today, I can breathe, you know, when breathe. we're out here and we're feeling this dirt and it feels amazing. And there are no cars in sight. No, we've been standing here for hours. I didn't, why would someone drive out here?
2: Yeah. I mean, there are people that live out here somewhere, you know, and, I can't see them, but yeah, me neither and and once the trees once the trees bloom out man like it's this is how it is like you can like there's one what is that one house like a mile and a half I see a, it land? could be
0: it could be a barn it could, it could be a house it, we don't know and that's a
2: long ways away well, let me pop the back and we we'll sit here and we can keep talking yeah
0: i want to talk again about the oh, race absolutely. itself so when you set out to create mid south did you actually expect it to become what it is today
2: no no and I mean, I don't say that just to sound humble. I don't say that just to sound like naive or ignorant or like any of those things that are also true. <laughs> I say that because uh, I, I, I knew how cool it was. Just, just like the way that I thought certain styles of music like punk rock and emo and stuff that I keep bringing up because it's such a part of me. Like, I thought all that music was super sick and I thought that it had a place and a time and I thought everyone should think it was cool. This is kind of the first time that I've really been into something where everyone else, over time, have also decided, oh, that shit is cool. And I'm invited. And the barriers to entry are actually a lot lower and the expectation of finishing and time and racing and all that stuff is, uh, from, from the cycling perspective of what I knew to be true at the time whenever I got into riding, gravel immediately allowed for this conversation and also, dude, I'm not a racer. Like, I didn't come from that side of things. Yeah. I've never been on a podium, really. Fat Bike World Championships, tongue-in-cheek, in Crested Vita I got on, like, third place on their Thursday ride, like, before the big show. And, yeah. But I've never, ever been like, oh, I'm coming to this thing. And so I think that also played a lot into, at least for our conversation at Mid-South, of who's capable, who's invited, why you should come. Because I, I was never pushing the marketing from a standpoint of, like look at these racers are coming look at what's happening like let's focus on the front end of the pack oh look at this record that got broken look how fast these people are going i've always just been like look at the land yeah look at this dfl look at how we're spraying champagne all over this person just like we did the first one look, look at how we're standing on this street in the middle of downtown stillwater where during spring break all the students are gone no one's in town there's no football game there's nothing really happening at all dude the first year that we were open the year before the first land run was 2012 our first spring break in town we had one customer come in the shop and it wasn't even a customer it was Corey, our landlord yeah and it was raining outside it was cloudy it was terrible and now it's you know we've got 2500 plus people from 48 states and eight countries so anyway no i had no idea that it was going to do what it did did I think it had the possibility after what I saw happening in Emporia before we moved here? I really, I was like, dude, people should flock to this because of the experience and because it doesn't matter how fast you are yeah. what, you're, what you're doing.
0: So on the, on the note of marketing, um, obviously gravel's caught on, and you have these big kind of series, what Lifetime's doing, oh, yeah. what BWSR is doing. They're really sort of big corporate entities are backing it. And I personally think that's great but i also think it's good to have something else how are are you addressing sort of the corporate entities and the corporate interests that really now have stake in this little world of gravel that you were sort of one of that first movers in i know this is possibly we're getting to sort of (laughs) the more controversial areas but i want to i want to give you the chance to speak on
2: this were you were you at the writers meeting this year at Mid-South?
0: I was not. I was sitting on an airplane
2: oh, or maybe even right. the oh, Dallas yeah, airport.
0: Right. I It was a train wreck. I so wish I could
2: have been. I spent more money than I've ever spent in my life on a stage that Fat Tire New Belgium helped me put together and make happen. And from that stage, one of the first things that I said was that we are not for sale. That the whole point and the whole reason of building District as a bike shop and Mid-South as a, an event was truly because we believe people are worthy of movement of their body and worthy of celebration of that movement, whether they finish or not or whatever they're doing or whether they're just buying the bike to go to the library or the grocery store or work or if they're planning on doing a 200 mile dirt road event somewhere across the country. Like it doesn't matter, right? So there was never never a conversation around like, oh wow, like someone may be interested in buying this thing for like a million bucks some year. Like that was never the point. So I'm not diff- just because now that seems to be have become a possibility and a reality. Not not seems to be. It is right. It yeah. It is happening. This is something worth a lot. It doesn't mean that I need to change my Mike. It doesn't. I am not here now saying, oh well, now because interest is X and money's here and other people are interested and things are happening and all these you know pro riders are showing up. That doesn't mean I need to change what my original core values were. Mm -hmm. That everyone's invited, that these roads are sick, and that people should check them out. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Austin at the shop yesterday, he was was like, man, you know, things are kind of wild. Like, have you thought about writing, like, an actual, you know, mission statement or, like, a core value statement? And I'm like, dude, what it really boils down to is, like, people are rad no matter what. And they deserve to be loved, and they deserve to move their bodies. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I haven't written that down, but honestly, like that's it. And so, j- just in the same way in the music scene, that like, Blink-182 changed my life. Yeah. Changed my life. Showed me that like, simple, super heartfelt songs that had really sad lyrics could also sound super happy at the same time. Like, it was this crazy dichotomy. Yeah. And that's kind of exactly how I feel about gravel. Like this is celebratory AF, but you might have to walk 10 miles right. through the mud.
0: <laughs> so, bike. yeah, on that like <laughs> we talked about how you just seem to be hitting your stride last year.
2: Yeah. What is a oh, successful man. addition next year? Yeah. Like what does that look like to you? So to me, uh it looks like the continuation of movements of body and the sharing of culture whether it be music or art or diversity or like other people's culture. So what I want what I want, man, is I want I want to see the start line be more diverse than it's ever been. Whether that's from a you know, a, a you know, a race or skin color standpoint or transgender conversation or non-binary or more females or whatever. Like I want every human to feel comfortable and welcome. Yeah. And my, my whole team has been helping with that dude like Sally Turner our event manager, Josh McCulloch, our new creative instigator, we call him, like all the conversations of perspective have been brought up over the last two years of like, yo, we don't, we don't need to go down the same path as anyone else. And we don't need to do this just because it's a box to check. Like we actually give a shit about humans. So no matter what the big players are doing, BWR doing multiple events across the country, Lifetime buying a bunch of different events and, and then now making the Grand Prix because they've now got Sea Otter and Schwamigan yeah. and you name it, dude. It's crazy. I am paying attention. Let me please assure you that I am paying attention. Yeah. I am not. I am not here to just repeat exactly the same things that are happening, even though my original rubric of what to do and how to do it was absolutely DK200 in Emporia. Because I was like, they're integrating into the community. The start-finish line is smack dab in the middle of town. No one can ignore it. No one can recreate that vibe. You can't make that vibe out in the middle of a field. You can make a super fun event out in the middle of a field. But it is not the same. It isn't the same at all. Anyway, what I see as another step for Mid-South is the unashamed, like completely stripped-down pure joy of humans gathering as long as we can continue to do that and that everyone comes doesn't feel like they need to like fit into some yeah rubric of a human form that isn't their own as long as everyone comes and says like wow i feel really comfortable being myself here and i can get rowdy here and be loud here and just be a dork yeah like what is better than going to a party at your friend's house with like six or seven people where everybody's on the same page, same sense of humor and like allows everybody to just be the biggest dork possible. That's what I want. But with thousands of people.
1: Welcome back. All right. So that was, I don't know. Like I just, it struck a chord with me. That was a really fascinating discussion. I think there was two things. I just really want to pick your brain about Logan. Okay. One, have you ground before? You know (laughs) that was a great moment. I was like, "Wait, are they literally just taking off their you know shoes and socks and standing in the mud and then continuing to have this like really deep conversation about dirt?" So, I need I need to hear your thoughts on like what that was all about, too. Obviously, Bobby is super infectious, and just his message message of inclusivity was just phenomenal. Just like you know what it what it means to to put on uh, the mid south. So like those are the two things I think we should totally recap. So.
0: Yeah. So first off, I have actually never ground before. That was uh, a bit of a of a stretch truth. He asked me, it was like, have you ever ground before? And I was like, yeah, sure. I, <laughs> yes, ground. Yes, I've seen ground before. Um, and then before I know it, he was taking off his um, shoes. I've seen him do it before, though. So I had a vague idea of what he meant. So as soon as I saw him start to undo his shoes, I was like, yeah, time to get these off. And I was like, I'm just going to narrate this and roll with it. <laughs> um no but it was it was actually really cool to talk about dirt um yeah you got into it yeah and throughout the podcast we touch on it in a bunch of different ways because like from a racer's perspective that race is defined by dirt right which is the weather doing? yeah what's the weather doing what of what is the state of the paving of the roads in like what type of road surface do they have is the red dirt out or is it that sort of invasive dirt as we talked about um so it was really important and when you feel it after it rains it was quite cool so we were standing barefoot for 30 minutes and it was spongy and scratchy and all of these things at the same time like each step you get a different feeling and it just speaks to how there's all this nuance that goes into it and it's not just about oh was it raining the night before it's like oh was it raining months before Yeah. And w- all of this goes into it. So it's really a, a, like a, a distilled version of the climate around it and the topography, and, and it changes all the time. And, and it's fascinating. And you get that when you go out with him and you take a ride in his forerunner and he drives you to his favorite part. It's not even part of the course. Yeah, The part we looked at was far from anywhere we rode last year. We might go back to it, and he, he, he's quick to point out the route changes all the time and we talked about it. You know, it's the etch and sketch that he then colors in with a fine toothed brush. Um, but he just wanted to go to a cool part and I was like, All for it. Let's go. Let's do it. Um and you drove fast. <laughs> you drove really fast. We were just zooming <laughs> around. I was like, Oh, this is crazy. Um, but it was it was so fun. The dirt was so good. I've never talked so much about dirt.
1: Yeah. No, it was it was phenomenal. Just, you know, the the colors and just yeah, the texture and then just I don't know, there was like a gravity, you know, there's this like weight to the conversation it was just, it was really engaging. It was, you know, I, I was, I was not there, but it certainly felt like I was.
0: Yeah. Tying to your second question about inclusivity and the the space he he operates in, it's clear like that connection with the dirt is a connection to the land, which harps back on a lot of the issues that he, he talks about, about Oklahoma, indigenous rights, um, land ownership, equality, um, all other political discourses that he's not afraid to steer away from. And one thing that I asked him sort of uh, on part of the conversation that didn't get recorded or did get recorded and got cut was like, how do you manage all of these sort of positions in a place like Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is part of one of the most conservative states in the country? Um, and for him, it was all about a, having all of it be a, based in a genuine care for his place, like genuine love for his community and investment in his community, regardless of the politics of the people that exist there. And with that investment and care and passion, he's gonna have his views and people are going to respect it because it's he's a part of the community. He speaks, he acts in a way that might be confrontational, but it ultimately is a hundred percent for the community in a way that's tangible, in a way that a ton of people relate to, regardless of their perceptions of any of the uh, given issues. And in a way, I saw this with my interactions with the race. Uh, Mid-South has a deep connection with a Jeep club, Hmm. Um, Jeep club, and none of these people ride bikes. And a lot of them are from very rural backgrounds. And obviously, some of their backgrounds are different in terms of politics. Um, And it doesn't matter to them that Bobby is maybe different politically He's brought them into this race and this event that brings people to their community, that shows it in a very good light, that celebrates a lot of the same things that they enjoy, mainly dirt. (laughs) Um, And it really allows for people to come together in a way that you don't get in this climate, Um, and especially ways you don't get in places like Oklahoma all the time. Mostly because, as I mentioned, a lot of people don't even want to go there. Yeah. and that's what's so special to me. I really enjoyed my time going to Oklahoma. And I, I, a couple points in the in the conversation, I talked about the perception of Oklahoma. And that's certainly not my perception of Oklahoma. I felt like I was excited about exploring the Midwest, Arkansas, uh, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma. But there is that perception from the East Coast and the West Coast that there are, are other more desirable places on the two ends. And that was my big takeaway. It's like, there's something worthy here. There's something that can transcend a lot of what we see as paradigms and we see as barriers. And it's a beautiful thing that is rendered in a bike race, which makes it even more beautiful for me. Um, and I'm glad you took those things away because one, yes, the dirt yeah. was important. And two, <laughs> his his mes- message of inclusivity is so deep and so profound that it transcends a lot of the barriers. And I think some of the the limitations of those narratives in other places so and i'm sure there's other groups that do that and i think there are other bike races that do that pretty well and hopefully i'll be able to explore those a little more in in upcoming episodes um and maybe not steer clear of all of those sensitive topics but really focus on bikes and focus on the togetherness that i think bobby laid out in a perfect way
1: yeah no it was it was i don't know there's so much to say about it in in some ways but what like stands out to me is just Go to Oklahoma. Go be yourself. Go have fun. You're going to be welcomed for whoever you are. And so, I I guess maybe my my takeaway, my action item is: I've met Bobby. I've been to Oklahoma. I have not met Bobby in Oklahoma. And so now I need to go experience Bobby's Oklahoma. Um, Yeah. I I think that's that's my homework.
0: I think you do. We're not. This is. We're not. Rodeo is not a partner of Mid South. We (laughs) want to point out this is just a a true endorsement from just person to person. And from experience, like, Mid-South is a fantastic race. If you can make it, get down there. Um, run the race. There's a running race. There's a riding race. There's all these different events. There's a concert. He brings out this big stage. Um, as I mentioned, Mid-South is Bobby's album. It's yeah. his album he releases every year. It's intense. It's rock and roll. And it's bringing people together in one of the best ways possible. Yeah. It's got high production quality. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right logan that was phenomenal i cannot wait for your next field recording yeah i'm i'm eager to see what you do next thanks nick appreciate it welcome to part two of the podcast hey uh so i'm sitting down with drew of rodeo adventure labs hey Drew.
3: hello nicholas
1: thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast
3: hey thanks for having me pleasure to be here
1: okay so as i prefaced we're going to talk to drew about the show pony Drew is the primary designer, and he's been driving this project uh, in terms of execution of bringing the Show Pony to life. So I feel like who's better to talk to about this bike that has cropped up on Bikepacking.com a couple times now has has sparked a lot of conversation, a lot of design questions or geometry questions that we probably we probably won't get into the geometry today. But I think I really wanted to hear from Drew uh, about. What is the show pony? What's driving it? And then just kind of get into the testing because, as we saw in bike packing, mm-hmm. the first version of the bike that was released was uh, a steel version. And then just recently, it's now an aluminum. And so I kind of wanted to talk to Drew about like, what does it mean to be testing and creating a new product and bringing it to market? And what are all of the design considerations that are being made? So, without further ado, Drew, do you want to? introduce yourself a little bit what do you do at rodeo yeah uh
3: so uh what do you do at rodeo is a question um myself and i think just about everybody here has always struggled with uh just (laughs) working in a smaller company um and we've seen a lot of growth over the last few years so we've kind of gotten the luxury of refining our roles quite a bit um you know bringing people in to own more things as opposed to you know, four people doing just about everything in the company. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, um, kind of do, uh, there's a lot of overlap between me and Steven, as far as like design work and, um, just kind of high level management, um, everything from managing manufacturing relationships, uh, logistics, getting things across the world to us. Um, yeah. Answer phones, <laughs> answer emails, And, uh, over the last few years during COVID, uh, just kind of taking on more of the industrial design process and kind of getting more control over our design process so we can refine our products to where we really want them to be, uh, as a, as a brand and as a company.
1: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of in-house design from the ground up.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, that's
3: kind of where we have morphed into through covid so
1: yeah well i'll drop a plug that i think drew you're working on more than just the show pony but we are talking about the show pony and there's a couple threads to pick on there you know about manufacturing and and those relationships particularly through the pandemic we'll get to those i guess just stepping back thinking about the show pony rodeo has has been a drop bar bike company for a really long time why was it time to bring a new product a mountain bike to the market what is like why why the mountain bike why now
3: yeah for years we've been that just get a mountain bike company yeah (laughs) and i was going no (laughs)
1: yeah i mean everyone was you know riding a donkey or a flannel on some mountain bike trails and people are like yeah what are you guys doing so so why now
3: so I guess to, I'll try not to give you too long of a history, but, uh, you know, Stephen Stephen created, um, I think the first, I guess, official trail donkey or version of the trail donkey in about 2015 and rodeo as a company, you know, it's the mantra has always been form follows function. And the North star has been, where do we want to ride and how do we, fundamentally make a better bike for that specific use. So our location in the foothills here in Denver, um, you know, it's not like most places where you get continuous rolling hills or continuous, uh, you know, like flat it's you ride road for, you know, half hour to an hour to get to the trails in the mountains, which is one of the best parts of living living in Colorado. But um, Stephen didn't want to load a mountain bike into a car drive it out to the trails and kind of cut into his riding time so you know at that time cyclocross bikes were about the best option for that but you know it was a lot of candy brakes v brakes and there was just an opportunity to make a bike that had dropper routing had disc brakes uh and was just kind of functionally better for riding an hour to the trails riding trails than riding home and um while it created a bike that i don't know i guess the you know the old adage jack of all trades master of none um it ended up just being a super versatile platform that kind of uh caught the leading edge of the gravel craze which it ended up being a pretty good gravel bike um what we're doing as a company now um there are places that we want to ride now where um you know and our customers as well where the trail donkey or the flanimal are capable of doing these rides, but we think that there now is a better vehicle for those pursuits. And that's why, you know, as a company, we sat down and we said, okay, I think it's time to make a mountain bike. Um, you know, you have the gravel trend and I feel like the, the next bleeding edge, um, to the gravel trend is people are getting, you know, they're starting to see people doing, tour divide and all these big bike packing races and ultra endurance things and uh, the term i've been using around here is people are bike packing curious but it is a category that has a much greater barrier to entry than uh riding gravel you know you can get a gravel bike pretty easy you know put three bottles on it and bring a bunch of snacks and get through a gravel race being, um, you know, embarking on something like the Tour Divide or multi-day bikepacking trips, it's very intimidating. Uh, There's a lot to learn, a lot to know, a lot of different ways to do a setup. Um, And it's just, I feel like uh, there's not really a platform yet that makes it easier for people to get into bikepacking. You still have to do 60... 50 to 100 hours of research on bikepacking.com, which is great. It's part of why people love it is just the nerding out on it. But for the people that want to do a weekend trip, um, just kind of making an affordable um, platform to lower the barrier of entry into adventures like that. Uh, really kind of continues to follow the ride, explore, create mantra that rodeo has always followed. So I I guess that's why we decided now Um, there's an opportunity for a mountain bike where we can create a product that kind of fundamentally serves that purpose better.
1: Uh, That's really exciting. I think one of the things you mentioned was was North Star. And so I guess for for those that um, may not be familiar with it, the, the north star comes from polaris which is one of the brightest stars in the constellation that is near motionless and so early navigators were able to to use it as as a way to guide something and so i think that's really interesting in in releasing a product is just kind of setting your own north star of like what is the ultimate thing that is guiding this pro, uh, project or product release and you know how might that be it's almost like aspirational maybe Maybe we don't get there, but maybe we do. Maybe it's an ethos. And so I think rodeo has its own North Star. But, you know, what has like the North Star of this project been? And do you think you've had to shift it at all throughout the pandemic? Or do you think it's like at its core still been bringing an accessible bike for those that are interested in, in bike packing? Well,
3: yeah, I think because we're so adamant uh, about not straying from our path as a company, is why this development process has taken so long, um, if that makes sense. So you know, a lot of bigger companies you have set um, you know like product timelines where you need to have a deliverable on this date, and we're going to launch this bike uh, spring '23 or something. Rodeo is kind of a it's kind of a luxurious place to work because we don't really operate in that way. We're not going to release something until it's fully. Uh, you know mature and exactly what we want it to be so the pandemic has been difficult Um, I guess we started kind of talking about the show pony project gosh like two and a half two two and a half years ago
1: I think it was publicly mentioned in 2020 yeah so you probably were ideating well before that yikes Uh, (laughs) no pressure to release it (laughs) that's alarming that (laughs) opens my eyes a little bit
3: uh no but it's it's very much one of those things where you know um the the rodeo as a company has we've always been adamant about creating or ideating products in a vacuum we don't want to look externally and look at what other people are doing we want to make a high level uh wish list for uh, a product or Um, you know just kind of like nurture brainstorming where you have a dry erase board and you're just writing crazy ideas up there and maybe nine out of ten don't stick but one out of ten does or putting together three or four of those can lead to something else it's a very important process for us so because of that um, any product that we've brought to market to this point we've approached manufacturers and they just say well, why do you want that? Nobody else is doing that. And we go, yeah, but we want that. So figure it out, you know? So um, through something like COVID and a global pandemic where companies are panicking, booking production runs and just getting a spot in line, manufacturers have not been motivated to help develop a new product. Um, especially with somebody like us where we have a lot of ideas and we ask a lot of our manufacturers they're in a place where they can just operate on bread and butter, easy to make products with high margins. So it's been hard to this point. Um, and, you know, if we were um, a bigger company that demanded a timeline, we probably would have released something just to get it out to market. But that's never the way that we've operated. Um, and I think that that's why our products really last the test of time to this point, at least. Um, you know, we don't, we don't believe in getting a new bike every year. We want to get something, use it as a tool and kind of run the life cycle of the product. So, uh, this product has been difficult. There have been material shortages and, um, you know, we finally got some prototypes where we were able to test the geometry and geometry is one part of the recipe, but it's a very important part of the recipe, especially when it comes to mountain bikes. So we've gotten prototypes. We have prototypes under pro riders. We have them under us. Now we've gotten to test the geometry and there are things that we want to refine in the geometry. Um, but I think we're pretty close there from that point, but, uh, kind of where we're at now rodeo is a very design oriented company and to this point these frames have been pretty industrial looking in nature <laughs> just kind of get us bikes that we can ride and see if we like the head tube angle or the chain state length and things like that so um, we've gotten prototypes in steel we've gotten prototypes in aluminum um, and just we've tried different manufacturers and haven't been happy for one reason or another and we're just looking for the right fit Um, but yeah I guess what we're doing now is just trying to beautify it and make a make a fully polished product that looks like it belongs in the rodeo family
1: yeah well first off there's, there's a couple things there one I do love the the idea that you don't need a new bike every year and so just whenever the posts go up of hey we replaced this tubing from a steel bike and gave it a fresh coat of paint and it looks like a brand new bike it feels like a brand new bike and you're going to stand behind it with the rodeo warranty i think that's that's always really fun to see but and w- repairing frames too yeah Yep. Yeah. so the the other thing would be uh, which i find really interesting is you sent out a bike to the silk road uh, mountain race with jay and jacob um, as well as ashley and so they got to ride the steel versions so I'm curious, like how much iteration happened after that versus, you know, just bringing out the aluminum version. And now that's going back to Silk Road with Scotty and Ernie. And so like, how much kind of feedback are you expecting to to collect there? And how does that compare and contrast from like the earlier, early version?
3: Yeah. So the early version, you mean the The steel. steel. Yeah. 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 So the steel version um, that went to Silk Road is actually the same geometry as the aluminum versions that we have now. Um, we, so those steel versions, it's kind of funny. Um, we built those and sent them out under super fast professional riders, and we none of us at the office here actually even got to ride one yet. <laughs> so uh, getting the aluminum prototypes here has been awesome because we've been able to get prototypes, which has been very difficult Um, But it's the first time that we have gotten to ride them. So um, we know that, you know, our pro riders are far more capable riders than we are. And their feedback has been awesome so far. But um, I, I feel like a lot of the feedback that we've gotten is that they're very happy with it. And it's been a balancing act of, you know, we're like, okay, but. what can we change? Is that actionable? And and there, (laughs) (laughs) I like it is not super actionable, you know? So I, you know, I've had conversations with a few of our riders where I'm really kind of trying to poke holes in it and say like, okay, but like, what about when you were, uh, when the bike was loaded and you had to pop the front end of the bike over, uh, rock while climbing, you know, those are very specific things that have played into our ideation for the geometry. And, um yeah i mean we've gotten to refine but uh, i think we're pretty close um you know after we've ridden these aluminum prototypes here there's a few things that we want to adjust but man i was pretty surprised at how um good the geometry was from like the really early on um prototypes so now the challenge is all the features that we alluded to with making a platform that's modular, is able to do multiple things, much like the Trail Donkey. Uh, we try to engineer as much um, you know, versatility into anything that we do. All the bikes are designed for a very specific thing, but that very specific thing also lends itself to a lot of different uses. So with the mountain bike, how do you find a geometry where it's, a playful hardtail that can be fun you can run a rigid fork you can run a suspension fork you can also um, slide the chainstays back and have a super stable loaded bike for tour divide so i'm um, just kind of refining uh from there but also yeah making kind of fleshing out the the platform now um so yeah geometry like i said is just one part of that recipe and now it's time to start you know
1: kicking in a little salt and a little uh a little pepper and some, some <laughs> spices some yeah. zest Just, yeah. yeah maybe a little sriracha you know yeah well i guess i'm curious so before you get to that point um i know you're trying to bring the bike into a certain price point in the market you want it to be accessible you know so how much does the frame material itself play into that you know you've gone through steel you're in aluminum now is titanium and carbon off the table or is there going to be other testing there
3: Yeah, there are a lot of people, uh, including myself and Steven and anybody else here that would love to have this bike in carbon or titanium. Uh, I feel like those are the ultimate materials for a bike, Um, just the performance for what we're asking for them. Those are kind of the um, ambitious materials, you know, but what we want this bike the, the void that we want this bike to fill in the market uh i feel like there are already bikes made by you know custom titanium manufacturers or other bikes in that price point that we would have to ask where there's already bikes out there that are pretty good whereas the point for this bike is to lower that barrier of entry and a lot of that is it's a big investment to get into bike packing and ultra endurance and um you know i think to to this point steel or aluminum is kind of um it's the material that we're going to at least introduce the product with to get that price point where we feel like this product adds the most value um not only to us but to our customers and you know everybody that wants to get into the sport um you know kind of making a more affordable frame that is also very performance oriented so um yeah that's kind of where we're at right now does you know if if there's enough interest in it, oh man, I would love to get a carbon or a titanium version of it. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, so wrapping up here, I'm curious, how much are you reading the comments and paying attention to what people are saying when they're like, I want this geometry or is that, does that factor into some of your, your design changes while you're iterating? Absolutely. So when we start the design
3: process, and really decide what we want this bike to be. That's that's what I was saying, we, we try to do that in a vacuum. Um, so we're not looking externally, being influenced by other people. What do we think uh, is the best tool for this venture that we want to embark on? That being said, message boards and people on the internet, super valuable feedback. A lot of people out there are super passionate about, um, this specific, uh, type of writing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to take, <laughs> you have to take message or comment sections with a very big grain of salt. Um, you know, there's a lot of people and, and part of that too is a lot of people have a very specific idea of the bike that they want. And that rarely aligns with, anybody else in the comments section <laughs> so uh you can't be all things to all people but um you know looking at feedback seeing you know if what we're doing is resonating with people because at the end of the day we're here as a company we need to sell bikes to continue to exist so um i try not to uh comment in those in those sections of the website. but we're watching <laughs> we are watching
1: <laughs> so duly noted i will yeah. uh, i'll check what i say yeah okay so i hate to i hate to ask when we might see this bike come to market because i don't think that's the rodeo way so i guess i would i would rephrase it based on where you are now what is the next milestone you want to hit before you feel like you might bring it to market so currently I am working with the manufacturer to get
3: another round of prototypes to us. Um, part of this round is going to be slight geometry changes. Um, I've just redesigned um, the rear dropouts. Just make them, you know, like I said before, a little less kludgy looking, a little more flowy and more beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, it's really starting to gain momentum. Finally, uh, I think you know as an industry manufacturers are starting to get caught up Um, we're seeing that a lot of our orders are getting pushed up in manufacturing queues which is something uh, that we have never seen before and it's because uh, unfortunately uh, a lot of companies are canceling orders because you know they just got their foot in in the line and uh, you know they don't have a need for these products anymore so um because of that we are really starting to gain momentum on this project um and we are kind of entering that refining beautifying building out the platform um you know we're continuing to test the geometries and we are really confident we're on to something and we have something really good coming to market so um yeah that's just that is,
1: that's, that's a milestone <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a milestone there might yeah. be a couple more but i think yeah. we're all eager to see it yep. uh, continue to come to life and come to the masses beyond just a select few testing i haven't i haven't ridden it but i'm also not the most mountain biker mountain biker i dabble so well. we also only have an xl here which is just the <laughs> completely wrong size for you so yeah yeah
3: um yeah it's been fun though
1: Cool. Well, Drew, a challenge. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time telling us about the product launch. Uh, the show pony will be watching. So am I. We're, we're lurking. <laughs> <laughs> we're
3: all watching. <laughs>
0: Music.